0: Thank you, Pastor Matthew. Well, it's almost like Christmas came early for me because all my old friends turn up around about this time. This is one of my oldest friends, actually. I first met Pastor Feridin Mokov in 1990 in Ankara, Turkey, and we've been good friends ever since. And Pastor Feridin has actually preached here before, quite a few years back, but as part of the uh, Azerbaijani Forum, he'll be here, and he'll be sharing with us today in a very fitting way since our brother is from Iran, about persecution and about the problem of suffering. So let me pray for him and then we'll let him go. Thank you, Father God, for my dear brother Ferdinand. Lord, I pray, Father, the words that he has, the words that you've given him, the words that he shares will be spirit and they will be life to us. That, Father, they'll do more than hit our ears, Father, but they will transform our hearts, our minds, and our thoughts, Father. I bless him, Father, I ask that you use him now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Chris. Good morning, church. Uh, Before anything else, I want uh, really to thank Pastor Matthew for trusting the pulpit to me this morning. I know very well that you all, every week, you come here to hear from God as the people of God. And today, my prayer is that I be a righteous instrument in the hands of God to bring and communicate His message to you. My name is Feridun Makov. (laughs) <laughs> you should remember the name. Today it's a name, but tomorrow it might be a legend. then <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah uh, My profession is Bible translation. I'm doing it for more than 35 years. And my passion is church planting, evangelism, teaching, and all sort of those things. But doing all these things, actually my mission statement is so simple. In following Jesus, my mission statement is this, to make Iranian Muslims Christian. And this simple vision statement, as a matter of fact, brings us face to face with the demonic regime of Iran who has hostile reaction against whatever is good in the world. It's not just Christianity. It's whatever is good for the people of Iran. They have been involved in it, and we are face to face with it, with the good news of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the only hope for our people in Iran to bring this tyranny down and we will do it. We are looking forward, and I'm so sure that by the defeat of Islam in Iran, the backbone of Islam in the whole area, Middle East and Central Asia, will come down. So we are not scared of Islam. As a matter of fact, we are face to face with it. And with that one, obviously, there are persecutions. There are a lot of raids to our cell churches inside Iran. There are a lot of arrests, imprisonment, and a lot of our people from Iran, they have left whatever they have, and they have fled to surrounding countries, mostly and mainly Turkey. And I want really you to pray for the people in Turkey, for the Iranian asylum seekers in Turkey, because it's dead end for them. United Nations has closed down the office there, and everything is now in the hands of Turkish police. And Turkish police is the one deals with the cases of Iranian Christians coming from Islamic background. And that creates a lot of fear and dead end. At one time in the future, I'm going to appeal to you to stretch your hand, helping hand, sponsoring our people there to bring them out of that wilderness. So persecution is not something that we are not familiar with. It's not a new thing for us, but I believe that it shouldn't be a new thing for you too. Because the Bible says so clearly that in 2 Timothy fast, uh, fast, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, anyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer. And when I look at this verse, I see so clearly that the emphasized and emphasis of the verse is on godly life. The kind of life that is based on biblical values that is based on the values that actually it's worthy of dying for worthy of going into persecution under persecution i don't see any hint of a specific geographical location like iran or any particular political group like Islamic regime, or democratic regime, or whatever. In this fallen world, wherever and whenever you want to live a godly life, you will suffer. Therefore, this morning, you need to ask yourself, where are the areas that I am under suffering in my community, in my home, in my country, because of my life, living a life, a godly life, because of the life that is based on biblical values? You see, persecution always has been an old excuse for the people that they, they do not want to believe in God. Normally they say, if your God is as good as you say, therefore, he wouldn't, ha- wouldn't want his uh, people actually to be under suffering. He would want them to have a prosperous life. And if your God is as all powerful as you say, then he is capable of actually doing it. And since the people they suffer and still there are sufferings in the world, therefore your God neither is good nor powerful or both of them. And that's an excuse for these people not to believe in God. When you hear this word from them, initially it comes to you logical, especially when you tell you are in the midst of some sufferings. It comes logical, oh yes, probably they are correct, but they are not correct. The only thing you need to do is to put their presuppositions under question mark, and you will see that they are actually starting from the wrong point. But really, the sufferings we have in the world, from where it's coming? The truth is, none of the philosophies, none of the religions have been able, as a matter of fact, to tell you where the suffering comes from. All of them, they are just confused. Let's look at Islam. Islam tells you that suffering is destined for you by God. The only thing you need to do is to obey the will of God. And something good will come out of it. Hinduism tells you (laughs) basically what goes around comes around. You suffer now because you have been bad in your previous life. Now suffer. (laughs) And in the next one, maybe you will get a good one. Buddhism, which is a philosophy rather than a religion, tells you that all suffering comes from the desire to have. Kill the desire, and then the suffering will end. It means that you kill the main course of your life. <laughs> Panentheism, it tells you that, oh, God is in everything. If God is in everything and everywhere, then. Good and evil is meaningless, suffering is meaningless, and naturalism tells you that beyond this world, don't look for your answers, whatever you want is inside this world. Therefore, who is going to define for you what is good and what is bad? What is evil? What is suffering? Who is going to define it for you? You see, all of them, they are chasing their own tail. Neither philosophy nor religion has been able to tell you what suffering is and from where it's coming. As a matter of fact, we will understand suffering and persecution in the world when we believe that there is a God. It's only the Bible, as a matter of fact opens up and makes it clear that what is suffering and from where we get the suffering in this world. This point that these people, they make that, you see, there is suffering in the world, and because of that, God cannot be good or powerful, it's wrong. It it might sound logical, but not everything that sounds logical is true. What and where they have gone wrong? They have gone wrong because they have taken man out of this equation. They have taught man as a puppet, as someone who doesn't have any will and who doesn't have any saying in this equation. Therefore, we need to understand that. To destroy the suffering in the world and put an end to it the way we want as human beings, it's impossible for God. Because the source of suffering is not God, but the source of suffering is man himself. Mm. Probably you all know the creation, how God created a wonderful, so good creation. He made everything in order. He brought up order from chaos. And everything was good. And Shalom was reigning on the creation. And suddenly man decides that I want to have a life dependent of God. Separate from God. And therefore, you have heard so many times that what happens to man? The separation of God and man from each other puts man in a condition that he is lost for everything. He has now a lot of questions without any answer to them. And that lost situation, that lost condition, God calls it sin condition. Therefore, sin is not doing something wrong, sin, sin is being in a wrong situation towards God. So, at this sin situation, shalom is not there anymore. Nothing is working as it should. And now, this order, like a virus, has come to the ordered creation of God. So, with that one, we have suffering. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We suffer because the world is now running by wrong values. But really, such a powerful God, such a good God, is He going to stand and do nothing? (laughs) As a matter of fact, the atheists on this point are right. This God cannot stand idle in front of such suffering. Therefore, He has to do something about it, and He has done but not the way man wants. Because if you destroy the suffering without bringing man from this wrong uh, condition to the right one, it would be useless. Because again, he will start new types of suffering in the world. So the first thing God has to do is to correct the situation from its root. That's what the Bible says. If you look at the Bible, could you please listen? In Romans chapter 5, 1 to 5, we read this. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In these five verses, Paul actually says to us what God did because we have been justified by faith. We have shalom with God. We have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, we have been justified. This word is much more of a judicial word. It means that in the court of God we have been declared not guilty. Not that we have not been guilty, we are guilty. The reason we have been declared not guilty is because someone else has paid the price. Someone else has paid the debt that we had to pay. Do you remember Jesus on the cross, what he said when he was dying? It's finished. In Greek, teletestai. This is a banking world. When you owe something to someone or a, an institution, or a bank, and you take money to pay your debt, so they take the receipt and seal it, fully paid, teletestai. That's what Jesus said on the cross, teletestai, fully paid. Now we are without debt. That's why we have been declared not guilty in the court of God. But why God does such a thing? Paul says because of the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, pestis, <laughs> It means believing. You all had believed that this morning there is a service. You all had believed that the bridge over here is not open. It's going to be open from tomorrow. Therefore, you use the other way. (laughs) Faith, it means believing, but not any type of believing. Believing that actually you give direction to your life by that belief. That's believing. So, he says that you believed in who Jesus is and you believed what he has done for you. And by this believing, actually, you have been declared without death. Because you have now come into be in Christ, what Ephesians all the time says. You are not guilty because you are now by faith in Christ. Let me explain it in faith in Jesus Christ like this. This is my mobile. It's iPhone twelve. I have upgrade. I will do it. Do you time? You see, my mobile is in this Bible. No. Whatever happens to this book, it will happen to my mobile. Because the destiny of my mobile now is with the destiny of this book. When we come to Jesus, when we believe who Jesus is, when we believe what He has done for us, we become one in Him, united with Him. So our destiny is actually united with the destiny of Jesus, and in Ephesians it says that we were dead in our sins. but In Christ, we have been raised. We have been raised. We were guilty, of course, but because we are in Christ, we are not guilty anymore. We have been saved through faith, through believing who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it says that now we are in the right position with God. We were his enemies, but not anymore. Now between us, there is peace, because we are not in sin condition anymore. And Paul continues and says that not only that, but we have obtained access, we have obtained access. It has got two meanings in Greek. First, Bringing someone into the presence of the king, not to be punished, not to be judged, but to be actually honored. And the other meaning is, the port, the port that actually the ships they come and take refuge there from the storms. So Paul says that we have been declared not guilty, and not only that, we have been justified by faith, not only that, but now we have access to the presence of the King. And from the storms of life, now we can come to the secure port, and over there take refuge. And this is justification by faith, and that's a gift. We receive it without doing anything, just believing in Him. It's a gift, free. <laughs> a lot of people, when we come to this point, they say, oh, that's great. This is what I need. But they don't forget that actually receiving this grace, receiving this gift, it brings with itself The responsibility of putting ourselves in the discipline of grace. We cannot separate them from each other. Receiving grace will bring the discipline of grace. And we need to accept the responsibility we have. And what is that? It means that what we are going to do is to be an instrument in the hands of God for doing whatever is good in this world. You know, if you remember, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, from 1 to 10, Paul talks about being justified by by faith. Just raised us, and we are sitting in heaven with Christ. And then he talks about what we were and how God is going to do the changes in our lives. Day by day, through the power of the Holy Spirit which is in us, He will change us every day and our character will change day to day, becoming just the character of Jesus. So for being a good instrument in the hands of God, and doing what He wants to do in this world which will be through us, first He needs to do something for us, which He has done. Justification by faith, Jesus died on the cross, He paid our debt in full, but then sanctification. We have to allow Him, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, and change us day by day, and that's the discipline we are actually giving ourselves into it. And what happens, all this process, it changes our view to our suffering. That's why Paul says that, you know what? I am not only rejoicing in what God has done in me, and what God has really drew hes doing in me, has changed me into his masterpiece, so that I am capable of doing good in this world, but even I rejoice in the sufferings. It comes towards me, because my view to the suffering is the same as God's view. I don't look at the suffering as if all suffering, no. Remember, Jesus said that in this world there will be a lot of sufferings for you. He said that I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Anyone who wants to come after me, let him take his cross and all those verses. We knew all these things before and we know that in this world there will be a lot of tribulation for us because we live our lives against what the world actually asks us to do. So it's a part of our Christian life wherever we are. So Paul says that in all suffering eclipses, <laughs> whatever you call it. Any kind of suffering, take it from the governmental, take it from the community, take it even from the suffering we have in ourselves, pains and everything. He says that, you know, we know that all these things, they are there because they are a part of our discipline. Because God wants to change us to the type of people he wants us to be. And because of that, he says that this gives us endurance. <laughs> this is really a very nice word, good word in, in Greek. It's this endurance, this bearing all this suffering, is not that you don't have any other choice. You are stuck there. You have suffered. you have to suffer. Sometimes you say suffer. Why? Because you don't have any other choice. No, it's not like that. We chose to suffer. We chose to suffer because we know what is it going to do in our lives. Actually, this endurance, looking from the victory point of view, already you see yourself victorious. And in that stand, victorious stand, actually you endure whatever comes on your way, and it says that it will build your character. It will produce character, dokimei, <laughs> dokimei is a word actually, it is being used in the jewelers when they put the metal into fire and they melt it. Because they want to purify it document character it takes away whatever impurified is in our character. it makes us purified in the old times. there was not those uh, you know computers or whatever to see that if it is, uh, a gold is purified or not. they would put the uh, what's it this uh, whatever gold was in it, inside the furnace, and taking it it has not been purified. It has not been purified. It has not been purified. How do you know that it has not been purified? Yeah. Then the, the guy who was doing the purification, when he could see his face clearly in the liquid of gold, like a mirror, then it is purified. You know what God does? Through this suffering, Paul says that he puts us in the furnace and takes us out and looks at our character because he wants to see his own image in our character. That's what Paul says that the suffering will do to us. And this one, as a matter of fact, when you see that you are a changed person, when you look at yourself and you see that your character has been uh, changed, it creates hope in you. Hope. And that's unperishable hope. You look at heaven. No matter what is going to happen, no matter what is going to happen in the world, you have a hope that no one is capable of taking it from you. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit, that He is in you and working in you. So the question is, have I received this not guilty verdict? Do I follow the right Jesus? Have I believed what he has said? And, much more important, am I in the discipline of grace? If we are, therefore, I'm telling you guys, you are going to suffer. (laughs) I'm not saying the word says. You are going to have your own persecutions, as the persecution we have at the other side of the world. So instead of having just one day universal day of persecution, I might say that every day in our lives is the universal day of persecution for the people of God who have decided to live a godly life, no matter where they are. Amen. Let's stand. I think I am good with the time. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that today, Lord, we worship together and we heard from your word, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in whatever it comes along the way to us, Lord Jesus, we want just to be the instrument of good work for you to glorify your name and to shine wherever we are and to be salt wherever we are so that your name be glorified in our lives, in our community, and in our countries. In your name I pray, amen.
0: Amen, amen, thank you so much brother, that was a wonderful word for us. Well, I just want to round off by reminding us all that tomorrow, 6.30 in the Ministry Center, if you want to hear more from Nazira, from Feridun and from others sharing testimonies, things about that worship time and prayer for the Azerbaijani people. You are warmly invited. It's an open meeting. So feel free to come. Other than that, the Lord bless you and have a wonderful day. Goodbye.